This is God's word to us. Psalm 1, and beginning at verse 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Amen. And we thank God for his word. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to Psalm 1, that psalm that we read earlier. We're calling this uh, this morning, uh, The Road Less Traveled, uh, Psalm 1. I, I don't know if you recognize that title. It, it is the, the name of a Robert Frost poem that uh, I did for my GCSE O-levels, GCE O-levels, I think they were, no. Just old levels, maybe, in those days. Um, 35 years ago or more, perhaps. Uh, and I don't remember many of the poems that we did, but, but I, I remember a few. And, and that's one. And, and the closing lines go like this. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. I, I guess it's a poem that speaks about choices and the impact of choices on your life. And I, I suppose as a 16-year-old, I... I thought a lot about the choices that I was making, and, and that struck a bit of a chord with me. And that theme of, of making choices and choosing the path that we're going to be on is a theme, of course, that, that is right through the Scriptures. Jesus in Matthew's Gospel, for example, uses that very picture of two roads when he talks about whether to accept or reject him and his teaching. In Matthew chapter 7, he says, "'Enter through the narrow gate.'" For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So Jesus is saying there's two ways to live your life in regard to what we do with him and what he says. And and actually it is the, the narrow road and following after him that is the road to lead to life. It is the road less traveled, but it is the way. Now, that theme of of choosing the path that we're going to be on is right through the scriptures, of course, and it's particularly here in this psalm that we read earlier on. We have two ways described, really two lives described, two ways of living one's life, the life of the godly and the life of the ungodly, the life of the righteous and the life of the wicked, as the psalm calls it. And this is how it concludes in verse 6. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So we might want to say it describes the life of the believer and the life of the unbeliever. Because in the Bible, the righteous are those who trust God, who receive from God a righteousness, a right standing with him, and then go on to to demonstrate that right standing by the righteous life that they live. Those things all tied together in the Bible's thinking. 
And the wicked are, are those who have turned away from God, whether noisily or quietly. So we have the believer and the unbeliever described. And it shows us really starkly the choice that every individual faces as far as God's concerned. Will I be for him or will I be against him? Will I walk towards him or away from him? Will I believe him or reject him? And the consequences are really, really significant. If you notice, the psalm starts with the word blessed or happy and ends with the word perish. So there's the choice that we all face, to be blessed or to perish. And I'm sure if we were making our resolutions for this year and we were writing down some of the goals that we might have, it would be, of course, to be blessed. We see that so often whenever we see somebody describing their life story or some of the things that they are, are, are looking for. And, and I remember reading one over Christmas. I looked for it and couldn't find it. I couldn't remember who it was, but, but she ended it up and said, and most of all, I just want to be happy. It's the cry of our, our generation, isn't it? So as we, as we gather on this first Sunday morning of the year and of the decade, I thought we'd take some time to look at what this happy life looks like, this blessed life according to the Bible. And of course, it comes from taking this road less traveled. Well, to help us uh, unpack this a little bit, we're simply going to work our way through the psalm uh, with, with these little titles. Uh, two key differences, uh, two uh, insightful, illuminating pictures, and one crucial choice. That, that's where we're going. Two key differences, first of all, because the believer and the unbeliever are contrasted all the way through the psalm, but the differences are particularly clearly illustrated in a couple of things. First of all, they are different in what they avoid. The believer is different in what he or she avoids. You look at verse 1, blessed is the one, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. So, so quite simply, this is saying, that a Christian's life is different because he or she avoids ordering their lives by the standards of the world. To be blessed, there are a series of things that the believer says no to, that they avoid. It's not very popular, is it, to highlight negatives. We always want to talk about the positives in our culture, but but there are times, of course, when the negatives are really, really important. And we've got to accept that following Jesus means saying no to some things. And in particular, it means saying no to a world which is in opposition to God. All of the time, that the godless world that has set itself up in opposition against the Lord is trying to draw believing people into its sphere of influence and into its path. So if you imagine those two roads, perhaps it's not that they, they go uh, always in opposite directions, but, but they perhaps go uh, in parallels at times, uh, and there are opportunities uh, for uh, the, the, the world to call us across onto this other path. And you can see that there's a downward progression here. You see that they, the uh, call is, first of all, to, to walk in the counsel of the wicked, then to stand, and then to sit. So you can imagine somebody going past and someone calls out to them and they, 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 they stop and they stand and, and then they get comfortable and they sit down. So it begins with walking, accepting the world's advice perhaps. Then it means 
then it involves standing, following the world's ways. And then it moves on again to sitting in the seat of mockers, so obstinately entrenched in the world's ungodly attitudes. So, so here's the world, you see, trying to, to take us into its rebellion against God, but, but rarely are we tempted with that full-on obstinate rebellion. Rather, our, our first temptation is to begin to think like the world. And then we start to live like the world, and then we find ourselves entrenched against, against God. So, so, so believers are different in what they avoid, and they're avoiding the trap of the godless world. But they're also different in who they listen to. That's the second, the second difference. You look at verse 2. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So everybody listens to someone. That's, that's the, the underlying sort of assumption here. And how the believer listens is that they listen to, to God, to God's word. That's what the law of the Lord refers to. It's to what God reveals. And it's not some passing encounter, just uh, maybe hearing it read, for example, good though that is. No, the believer is, first of all, thrilled by it. He delights in it. Uh, John Stott po- points out that that's an indication that God has really worked in our hearts, in this person's heart, because the Bible tells us that without God's working in our hearts, we're, we're hostile to God and to his law. But this person delights in it. So God has truly done a, a, a new uh, generating work within his life. So he delights in it, but he also chews it over. We were talking with the boys and girls about chewing over the, the cud of God's word. So our, our minds dwell on it. We, we think to ourselves, what does this mean for me? What does God want me to do with this? What is God saying to me? We chew it over as if it is our very food itself. Do you, do you see that the way, by the way, that, that, that happiness is to be found is, is not looking to ourselves alone following our heart, as the world would say to us. You know what, what the underlying text of the world is? It is to say, now you'll be happy if you uh, are the best you that you can be, uh, if you follow your dreams, if you make up your own mind and all the issues that there are before you. No, no, that's not the way here. Blessing comes, happiness comes from actually looking outside of ourselves to an external voice speaking into us. It needs to be the right voice, the voice of the Lord, but that's who we listen to. Now, whenever we take these two differences together, that a believer is different in what they avoid and in who they listen to, we can see that the, the task of the Christian discipleship means shutting out the voice of the world in terms of how we actually live and listening to the voice of God. Now, I don't know, I can't remember who this is, but I remember chatting to somebody and asking them if they were in the choir here in Hill Street, and, and they said, yes, they were, but I wasn't a, a great singer, and, and I went along to a practice, and I was struggling a little bit. There were all these different voices and parts and stuff, <clears throat> and uh, I'm pretty sure they said it was Lloyd McElwain who just said, look, never worry about what everybody else is doing. Just sing the same notes as I do, and we'll be Okay. Now, it actually might have been Lloyd that wasn't able to sing. I'm not sure, but it was, it was, it was somebody. And, and, uh, and uh, 
And that's a great picture, isn't it? What's a believer called to do? It's to ignore all the voices around us and to sing only the melody of the Lord. It's not easy, is it? There's, there's much about our world at the moment that makes it as hard as, as it has ever been to hear the voice of God. You know, we've, we've more access to the scriptures than we've ever had before. But correspondingly, there are more voices that would call us away from them. You know, surely it is, thinking about this this week, surely it is one of Satan's triumphs in the last few decades that billions of people are walking around with the, 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 the social media feed just coming to them all of the time and they're just hearing a, the counsel of the wicked fed into their heads at every point in the day. And it doesn't look like the counsel of the wicked, but it's just the, the ungodly way of thinking. And, and sometimes Christians are, are sucked into that as well, aren't we? How can we hope to thrive if the dominant voice in our lives is a voice that ignores the Lord? Well, Psalm 1 tells us we just can't. So here's a question for us. What would it mean for you? And I really would encourage you to think about this. What would it mean for you if you were to make sure that you were avoiding, as it says here, the counsel of the wicked and you were listening to God? What would that look like in your life? What would it mean to what you were watching and listening and reading and, and your consumption? What would it mean to your practices? That's really important. Psalm 1 tells us that believers are different in what they avoid and who they listen to. Two key differences. Two key images. Because we've said that this is challenging, and so the psalm here gives us a couple of pictures that might help us choose to walk this narrow and sometimes challenging path. It gives us the picture, first of all, of a flourishing tree. You see verse three? He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither in all that he does, he prospers. So it's that beautiful picture of a stream with a tree beside it. And this tree, though all around it may be barren, the tree itself does not wither. Its roots go down deep. It, it draws directly from the water supply of the stream. And, and such a tree would be in great contrast to any other shrubbery around that didn't have that sort of underground support. Those bushes that are further away from the stream would, would only be nourished by the occasional passing shower, whatever else water happened to, to drop on the ground. So in the dry season, when the rains stop, they, they would wither and die. But this tree by the stream survives because it's in constant supply. Even perhaps if the surface of the stream looks as if it's not there, underground, it's still being nourished by the, the water table. And that's a great picture of the believer, isn't it? The one whose strength does not come from the passing reserves of what the world offers, but is supplied underneath by God. And so when life gets hard and the pressures come, I was struck by how John prayed. It's realistic to say that, that for some of us, for all of us in different ways, there will be challenges ahead in 2020. 
We, we, we want to be optimistic and say, this year will be easier than last year. But there will be challenges. And so when life gets hard and when pressures come, there is a reserve of strength there. Not the reserve of self-sufficiency, but the reserve of God's sufficiency. But it's not just about surviving, is it? It's not just about surviving the drought. It's about being fruitful. You see, the tree, the tree produces fruit in its season. So there's a prosperity here. It's a proper prosperity. This is the true prosperity gospel. You know the false prosperity gospel that says, well, if you believe in God and serve God, you'll be healthy and wealthy. That's not true. And it's not really serving God. Of course, it's really just serving yourself. But this is real prosperity as we serve God, we are fruitful. We live the lives that God designed us to live, and we bring blessing, well, partly to ourselves, but, but also to those around us. I love that picture in Psalm 84. It says, as they pass, talks about the pilgrims, as they pass through the valley of Baca, which is a dry place, they make it a place of springs. Some of you are going to go into offices tomorrow into factory floors, into communities, and, and they're dry places. And yet as we feed on the word of God, there is the potential for us in God's strength to, to be fruitful, to make those places places of springs. Psalm 92 gives us a beautiful picture of what this tree is like. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree, they will grow like a cedar of Lebanon, plant it in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming, the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no wickedness in him. Do you want to live a life like that? Does that make you say, oh, yes, Lord. I want to go your way these days. Well, maybe you need more convincing. But, so there's a second picture, and it's an alternative picture. It's, it's not the picture of the fruitful tree, but of the useless chaff. You see verse 4, not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. So this really is an alternative. You remember what we said at the start? This is the only alternative. It's one way or the other. But the wicked are not like trees. It says they're like chaffs. And so, so here's the picture. It's now a harvest scene. And the wheat has been harvested and threshed and, and brought to the threshing floor. And the valuable seed is to be separated from the useless chaff. It's light. It's blown away. And sometimes, of course, we see what the... the a farmer does, they, they throw it up into the air and the wind blows through it and takes it through. And what's this saying? Well, rather than the fruitful life, the person without God is living a life that is ultimately without value. You know, Christians can get really infatuated with the world at times. We find ourselves looking at people who, who deny God, who run from God, who are living from all sorts of other things, and we think, wow, look at their lives. That's what really matters. That, that's really living. I wish I had a life like that. But here's a word that needs to be in our minds the next time we see 
something on the television that makes us think that, or the next time we open a lifestyle magazine, or we see the latest feed from Instagram. Chaff. God says it doesn't have the value that we think it has. And there's another implication of this word chaff or title chaff, and that is that the chaff was often gathered up and and burned, and so it's a picture of judgment, and that's filled out in verse 4. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Not stand in the judgment. That's chilling, isn't it? No future communion in the assembly of the righteous. So maybe as we see these two pictures put alongside each other, it helps us to see that this decision to take the road less traveled is a really good decision. Because either we're listening to God and reaping a fruitful life, or ignoring God and reaping vanity and judgment. And that then highlights our crucial choice. And it is quite simple, isn't it? What will we do? Which path will we take? Will we say no to the voices and the values of the world and listen to God making his word our never-failing guide, reaping steadfastness in trial and fruitfulness of life? Or will we go with the flow and have ultimately nothing of lasting value to show for it And reaping only judgment, blessedness or perishing. And you see, when the starkness of that choice is put before us, it should be really obvious and simple. But but maybe we're here as believers and and this thought is going through our minds. We we look at this description of the believer, of the, the, the godly person, and we think, you know, even in my best efforts. That's what I want to be, but I know it's not what I am. Oh, I I want to avoid listening to the world and taking on its values, but I know that so much of the world seeps in. In fact, it's already in. I, I want to listen to God and live by his standards, but so often I'm insensitive to his voice. I want to be strong in him, But so often I don't draw on his strength. I want to produce fruit, but sometimes the crop seems pretty thin. And maybe we wonder, never mind the wicked, will I stand in the judgment? Well, of course, in truth, none of us, even as believers, is ever going to fit this description in Psalm 1 perfectly. Only one person ever has. There's a story told about a a missionary uh, speaking to a group of Jews in in Israel many, many years ago, and he read this psalm to them, Psalm 1. And he asked the question, who is the blessed man of Psalm 1? The man who has never walked in the counsel of the wicked or stood in the way of sinners or sat in the seat of mockers. Who is that? And no one answered him. And the the, the Jewish men, as it were, that were around him, said, well, you know, is he maybe our father Abraham? And then some of them said, no, no, he couldn't be Abraham because he lied about his wife, Sarah, for example. What about Moses? One of them said, well, no, he, he, he killed a man. He, he lost his temper when he was striking the rock and so on. What about David? No, no, he, he committed adultery with Bathsheba. And there was no answer. 
And then one elderly Jewish man stood up and he, he pulled out of his coat a New Testament and he said, look, I've been reading this. And if I could believe this book, if I could be sure it was true, then I would say the man of this psalm, the blessed man, is Jesus of Nazareth. And of course, he was absolutely right. Jesus is the only one to ever have avoided the world's ways, even when he was in the world. To, to only one to ever have listened perfectly to God to perfectly rely on his father, to perfectly produce the the sort of fruit that God was looking for. And that's why we need him so much. We need him this year, not only to be saved, if we're here today and, and we're not yet a Christian, how we need this Lord God. It's blessedness or perishing. But we also need him as believers that we might say to him, I know what I ought to be, but I know that the reality is not that. But I know that with you, you can help me close the gap. And so you see, that's really our choice. It's not to, to try harder by ourselves to be the righteous person of Psalm 1, but to say to the Lord Jesus, Lord, I thank you that you have perfectly followed the Father's word. And I trust you to help me follow you. Help me to say no to other voices and the values of this world and to say yes to the voice of God. Help me to draw on your strength so that there will be fruit and blessing forevermore. Help me to walk with you on the road less traveled. Is that what we want to say to the Lord at the start of this year? Let's say it to him together. Let's pray. We thank you, O Lord, that your word sets before us great realities simply and plainly and calls us to choose. And so, Lord, today we want to say together to our Lord Jesus that we are so grateful that you perfectly followed your Father's voice. Thank you that you've perfectly obeyed his word. And thank you that if we're here today and we are Christians, you live in us by your Spirit. So we pray. Help us to follow you. Help us to say no to other voices and values and to say yes to the voice of God so that there will be strength and fruit and blessing forevermore along the road less traveled. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.